All right, and for the rest of you, as I said, open up to Mark chapter 2. I am glad and thankful for Brian this morning for not just leading our worship time, but also we've been here six and a half years, and I've yet to see one thing that Jared Knapp can help with, but now we know that he can help start a clap. So we just thank you, Brian, for that. And, uh, uh, and for Bill, man, if we all told the stories of the times where... We left and said, boy, I'm glad or I'm lucky to be alive. I thank God for that. And uh, all of us can go back and, and remember time after time after time, or maybe just to have the strength to get up and the motivation to move forward. Uh, thanks be to God and to all the glory be to him. So for all of us, as we move into Mark chapter 2, going into Mark chapter 3, here's what I want to do. I want to start in verse 18 of chapter 2. And then I want to read through the very first part of chapter 3. And what we're going to do is we're going to see three different interactions, altercations, not physical, but instances where Jesus and those religious people, those religious elites, have some questions and concerns, and they, they address them, and Jesus addresses them. And then we see how things intensify during his time. And, and if you remember, we're in what chapter of Mark? Two. So his ministry is fairly young at this point. And what we're going to see is how things progress. So let's go Mark chapter 2, verse 18. And we will read through uh, chapter 3, I think, verse 6 or 7. So now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. So Jesus is referring to his coming death. And he's going to be taken away from his, his disciples, his apostles. Now one sews a, no one sews a piece of untrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And in verse 5, I want you to make note of, because this is where we're going to go back to here in just a moment. And he looked around at them with anger, 
grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to what? Destroy him. So let's go back. Let's go back to where we began. Jesus' disciples are not fasting, which was a custom of their day in which they would have likely fasted two whole days during their week. Now, Jesus' disciples are not fasting. And part of the reason, if you read certain commentaries, is that Jesus' disciples are brand new followers of his, and they may not be as committed to some of the practices. And um, and here we go. But most likely what Jesus is doing is he is reminding the people that there is going to come a day which he will be gone. But until then, they are to enjoy in fullness the presence of walking with him. But there's going to be a day where he is going to be separated from them. And in those days, they will fast. And in those days, they will mourn. So here we see they are not fasting. So what happens? The Pharisees are questioning Jesus. Hey, why do the disciples of the Pharisees fast? Why do the disciples of John fast, but yours don't? So Jesus answers them. Then the second thing we see is what? The disciples of Jesus on the Sabbath are plucking heads of grain to eat. As they are hungry. Well, this was considered work as they were plucking the heads off of grain just to simply eat. It was not reaping an entire field, but it was considered work, which was unlawful to do on the Sabbath. And if they were to do any kind of work on the Sabbath, then it was an unlawful act. So they go from questioning about fasting to accusing them of unlawful acts to then after Jesus heals on the Sabbath, which was forbidden, they what? They grow violent. And they are so angered with Jesus, they are to the point of wanting to destroy him. And, and I don't know if we need to go into deeper words there, but you get the picture. They are wanting to kill Jesus. The, this is how angry they are. And they have intensified through this three interactions. Well, now, if we go to verse 5, this is Jesus looking around at them. Just before he heals the man, what is what do we read? That he looked around at them with what? Anger. And he grieved. So there is another time where God grieved. And if you go back to the very first book of the Bible, you read what God was grieving. He was grieving that he even made man because of how horrific man and woman had become and how sinful they were. So what did God do? Well, we'll just send a flood. We'll start over and we'll, uh, we'll fix it. Here we see God in flesh, Jesus, God incarnate, grieved at what? The hardness of heart of man. So the question I, I asked myself while I was reading through this text and while I was writing and taking notes was this, why were their hearts so hardened? I mean, wouldn't this act alone been something to engage their love and affection for him? Wouldn't, wouldn't this act of this man who had a withered hand, whose life was radically transformed just by being, you know, just by being commanded to stretch out his hand, wouldn't that engage their heart for him? Wouldn't that grow them to love him and appreciate him more and more and more? But What do we see? We see the religious elites hate him, hate him to the brink of wanting to kill him. So what do we see in the religious people that we can actually see in today's world? Well, we see people with hardness of heart. 
We see people who over time grow more and more bitter and they intensify with their treatment of other people or even their look to God. So what kind of people were these people? Well, these were people that lived and they based their righteousness or their standing with God on their own personal performance and how good they looked. So what what is happening is that Jesus is showing more and more and more that he does not fit their religious or social construct of who they thought the Messiah would be. Jesus has come. We just discussed it just over in the other building just prior to service that Jesus came as the light of the world, but he came into the world that he created, but they received him not. He came into the world and they did not receive him. So here we are. We are seeing the religious elites growing more and more angry with Christ, ready to kill him because he is not meeting or he does not form to their religious construct. Therefore, they grow in hardness of heart. So let me ask you this. So we see the condition of their heart, which was hardened. Let me ask you this question. What is the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your heart? And you might say, well, it's good. Or maybe it's not. And here is what I will tell you is this. If you aren't careful, you will follow or imitate the religious people of Jesus' day by neglecting to address the condition of your heart by trying to be better or trying to look better. And what we will do is if we are not careful, we will just sleep under the rug, the condition of our heart, and not address what needs to be addressed because whenever we read the Scriptures, and there's multiple verses that I'll mention or reference today, the Bible is clear that God looks not on outward appearance, but what? The heart. Your heart. My heart. So here's what Jesus' day looked like. All these religious people were putting all of their effort into looking better and looking holier, and therefore they're like the whitewashed tombs that Jesus calls them whenever He is rebuking all of the religious elites, because what are they doing? In their hearts, they are deceitful, they are corrupt, and there is actually death within their heart. But what they are doing is they're exhausting their efforts into presenting themselves as something that they're not. And here is what you and I might be in danger of. If our hearts are hardened or broken, what we can do is we can put the masks on to make ourselves look as if we are truly saved, we are truly happy, we are truly living with joy and peace, when really deep down there is nothing but deceit, corruption, or even death in our own heart, and our hearts have become hardened towards God, hardened towards people, and that what is failing to happen is that we are failing to address the true Maybe the greatest opposition that you and I have when it comes to following Christ, which is our heart. Your heart. I remember the story of Samuel. Remember the story of Samuel going and looking at all these strong sons of of Jesse. And God says, I don't look at the outward appearance of man, but I look at the heart. So let me just ask you this. What is the condition of your heart? We got it. And you answer that. I can't answer that for you. But I will say one of the greatest oppositions we see in people in truly following Christ is the fact that they are more and more willing to change their behavior for a season than to surrender their heart fully to God. Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. All of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. 
So whenever we look at the Bible, it is clear that in Jeremiah, God spoke through the prophet and reminded the world in which we read that the heart of man is what? It is deceitful. It is deceitful more than all things. And it is desperately ill. And in that actual verse, you will read that there is a question in that verse. Who can understand it? Who can understand the heart of man? Here's what I will tell you, that if you are not careful, if you just neglect the condition of your heart and you just try to go through the day, fake it until you make it, what you will do is you will fail to address what needs to be addressed. And that is surrendering your heart completely to the Lord, all of your desires, all of your passions, all of your affection to him. And what you will do is you will put all of your energy into building your life upon how you appear before others. And here's what happens. Whenever you do that, deep down you grow more and more bitter and broken. So you can look really good. But once the masks are removed and we see the condition of your heart, we know that you are very, very desperately ill. For the heart is the most deceitful thing on the earth in man. And it can be the greatest opposition in order for people to follow Christ is because they long to satisfy their hearts with money. We long to satisfy our hearts with popularity. We long to satisfy our hearts with personal affirmation or other people's affections when our hearts can only be truly satisfied by the Lord. So the reality is, is that you and I may find ourselves as the Pharisees building our life upon our own personal performance. And because I am performing better than I did then, or I'm performing better than you, therefore I am greater. Well, Jesus didn't come to change your behavior for a season of life. Jesus came to what? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to make people like you and me who were once dead in our sins and trespasses raised to life in him. And raised to life in him means that we are truly, as Paul writes, in Christ we are new creations. The old has passed. Behold, new has come. So whenever you read the Bible, like in Proverbs chapter 4, 23, here's what you will read. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Your heart, from your heart flow the springs of life. So what does that tell us? That tells us that what some people use as their measuring mark of their righteousness or their standing before God as their performance. The heart is actually our measuring mark. Here's why. Your thoughts flow from the condition of your heart. Your speech flows from the condition of your heart. Your actions flow from the condition of or the status of your heart. Your desires, all of these things are reflections of your heart. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is this. Jesus grew or Jesus grew in popularity and people became coming to him. And the religious people are growing angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier because he doesn't meet their religious construct and, and they don't like what he's doing. But what they are doing is they are building their own lives based on their own performance and how good they look. And here is what I would challenge all of you to do. If you were to walk into this place, all masks aside, and we were to only see the condition of your heart, what would we see? See, God looks at your heart. So we have, to ask the, we have to ask ourselves this question. Does my heart look like God? 
if he looks at my heart and if he truly searches my heart, does my heart truly look like him? Technology. So God came to transform broken hearted people. Now, here's what your heart should do. Your heart should be broken because of our own sinfulness, but at the same time, it is repaired by the mercy and the grace of God. Our heart should be the springs of life. Therefore, all of my thoughts, my speech, my actions, and my desires flow from my heart. So if, if I am pursuing greed and money, I have a problem in my heart. If I am pursuing lust or if you are pursuing any kind of sinfulness, it isn't just a behavioral issue you have to address because you can cover up the behavioral issues all you want. It is truly the condition of your heart. Proverbs 4 says, as I mentioned, all springs of life flow from the heart. So when Jesus was preaching and healing and and they were eating and not fasting, all of these people grew angrier and angrier just like the religious people today, or just like you may be today. Because if you base your life upon how you appear, or how much better you look than someone else, I am telling you that over time you will grow angrier and angrier, and more bitter, and more bitter, and more bitter. So my prayer is that all of us would truly evaluate the condition of our hearts. Because as I asked you earlier, what is the condition of your heart? Let me just ask you again, what is truly the condition of your heart? If you were to remove all the masks and all the facades that you carry and all of the performance that you build your life upon, and if we were to just examine the condition of the hearts that you and I live with, what exactly would people see? And what I would challenge you to consider is this. Jesus would love for our behavior to be holy and pure. But if it's just to build ourselves upon how we appear, then we are broken. Our pure hearts should compel us to live holy lives. There's a story that, that I love so much. Well, the story's not so good, but the response to the story is really good. If you were to read Psalm 51, you would read the words by King David. You know, King David, a man after God's own heart that also fell short and was completely broken. You read King David... In Psalm chapter 51, this is after he is confronted by the prophet Nathan. What is he confronted about? Well, he's confronted about the fact that he had an affair with Uriah's wife, and then he killed or ordered the killing of Uriah, one of his greatest men in war. So Nathan comes and he confronts David, King David at the time, and he says, hey, the baby will not live. So you can just imagine King David has an affair with Bathsheba, orders the murder of her husband, And then here he is, confronted about it, almost as if he tried to just hide it and, you know, just brush it under the rug. No one needs to know. We'll just kind of move on with our lives. But God knows, and he knows the condition of his heart, so he addresses it, and he confronts him. And here is what happens. We read the words penned by David in Psalm 51. And maybe if you were to be honest, if I were to ask you, what is the condition of your heart? And you were to say, broken, deceitful, sinful... Maybe your cry today would be just as David cried in Psalm 51. Because we read David finding himself completely broken and brokenhearted. 
And this is what he writes in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So here's what I would tell you. Regardless of how broken or how hardened your heart is, the word of God and the spirit of God can work to cultivate a heart within you that is hungry for him. So the condition of our heart is what the Lord looks at. So if you were here today and you were to say, if I were to be honest, my heart is bitter, my heart is broken, my heart is hardened, my heart is just shattered, then I would implore you to seek the Lord and to call upon his name and to find his mercy and his grace because it is his mercy that is able to take broken-hearted people and to piece them back together and to give them the overwhelming joy, mercy, and salvation that he offers. Because from the heart flows the spring of life. So in every capacity of my life, it all begins in my heart. If you are always angry and mad or short with people, it's not because they cut you off all the time or because they tell you you're number one or because they don't understand what you're saying. It's because your heart is broken. Or if you just are always impatient, you have no desire to be around people and and you just want to move along and just get people away. It's not because you're overstimulated or you're overwhelmed. It's most likely the fact that you are broken hearted, that your heart is truly broken. If you are constantly looking for everything other than the Lord to satisfy you or you just cannot be at peace with just worshiping and surrendering to the Lord, but but we need to add money or we need to add alcohol or we need to add lust or whatever it may be. If anything else needs to be added to the joy and the life that the Lord gives us, then there is a clear reflection of the condition of your heart, and that is that you are broken. So my plead with all of us is to truly ask ourselves and to be honest, what is the condition of my heart? From it flow all the springs of my life. My prayer is that all of us would truly find that our hearts are overwhelmed with and overwhelmed in such a capacity that they just, it just flows from us. The mercy, the joy, and the salvation of the Lord. So today, may I just ask you again, what truly is the condition of your heart? And if you were to say it's broken, deceitful, sick, wicked, sinful, I would plead with you to call upon the name of Jesus because it is only he that is able to take a broken, dead, spiritually dead person and to transform them and to bring them back to life. Let's pray.